Hello, everybody. Greg Wareham here with Your Mortgage Process. And again, I'm your host, Greg Wareham. Uh, we're fortunate enough today to have an exceptional attorney in our area, the Honorable Mr. Um, Michael Gutman. Michael, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Greg. It's a real honor to be here. And uh, wow, what a great introduction. Thank you very much. Well, I certainly appreciate you I'm being busy. here, Michael. Uh, to give everybody an idea as to who Michael is, he has a practice that he owns in the Freehold, New Jersey area. I mean, you've helped thousands of buyers and sellers oh, for over sure. the years. Thousands. 5,000, 6,000, 7,000. It's yeah. been 30 years of, of doing closings, and that's all we do. Nothing but people buying and selling houses. So it's, uh, yeah. it really gives us uh, an incredible experience over that time period. of Yeah. I mean, involved. you're an expert in the industry. We've done a lot of yep. business together over the years. Uh, you have a an associate uh, in the you. in the office, uh, yep. Todd Bulch. He joined me uh, back in July, and uh, he had real estate background, a foreclosure, a, a landlord tenant, but he hadn't really been doing just closings, and that's mm -hmm. all we do. So I luckily was able to reel him in, and now he's on board uh, doing closings with us, uh, from attorney review to closing, meeting with clients, and all of that, and uh, has really given us a chance to expand, because that's what we're all about, is giving good service, that's and uh, being able to accommodate everybody, answer questions. and uh, That's fantastic, Michael. One other thing I will mention about your background is you have a Juris Doctorate wow. MBA. That sounds darn impressive. Now, I don't know what that is, but right. I know it's impressive. All right, thanks. What is that? Well, the JD is just simply the law degree you get when you okay. graduate from law school. And then uh, I liked school so much. I stayed uh, at, I went to Case Western out in Cleveland, Ohio, and I stayed for an MBA. So I got a, an MBA as well, which was a nice business background. And I guess if we're going to own our own law practice, sure. I guess it would be good to know a little something <laughs> about business. Math, math is helpful. It, yeah. <laughs> well, we tried to let the computer do the math. Uh, that's right. uh, the best way to do right. it. And one other... Uh, well-known or not so well-known secret right. about Michael, he is an exceptional magician. Thank you. Both literally and figuratively. Well, you know, uh, I said to my mom, I said, Mom, I want to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And she says, Michael, please become a magician in order that you have something to fall back on. <laughs> so uh, I had to do it. I had to do it. So, Michael, yeah. again, thank you for thank you. for being here today. Sure. I, I usually always take notes every time I'm conducting an interview with someone. And Michael... I think Michael brought me a pen. Well, actually, yes, I am. I'm very excited. I, I brought it from our uh, closings, actually. This is a uh, souvenir Michael Gutman signing pen, and it comes in this really nifty box. It comes with Ecuadorian elastic, very, very durable. I think this is high it. end. And inside the box is a uh, your souvenir uh, Michael Gutman signing pen. There's oh, nothing shoot. on it. It's, it's, just... su it's supposed to say, Michael, wait, just give it a snap and a whistle, and up. Oh, there you go. It actually does say uh, Michael Gutman. This is a vintage one, actually. Now they say Riley and Gutman, LLC. Uh, so this fantastic. is, I would like to present you. This is really, uh, we only give them the home buyers, but I thought this was such a special occasion that I would love to present you with your Rosewood. i made the cut. Michael Gutman signing uh, Michael, pen. Michael, thank you so comes much. Comes with so a souvenir box. If you put a toothpick in the box, prop it open. It makes a wonderful <laughs> display piece. A lot of people put it on their fireplace mantle. I mean, and, that's fantastic. Uh, I mean, that is definitely Ecuadorian right? elastic. That's fantastic. Thank right. you so Thank much, you. Michael. Very Thank nice. You. Very nice and then, of you. And, but I'm so excited to be here mm -hmm. and uh, with your podcast that you've started. I just wanted to celebrate with you. Brought you a little bubbly as well, a little champagne. Oh, thank to, you so because, much. Because, right, this is a sparkling business, and we really want to... Uh, 
keep it thank keep you Michael. The spirits high thank you so much say. so thank you for having uh, me here today would awesome. it be inappropriate to start drinking this it's five o'clock someplace always oh yeah nick pull it's, the shades there you go definitely, definitely <laughs> thank you michael thank very you. very kind of just you. wanted thank to say you. thank you for having me no thank you very much so michael and i are going to talk in a lot of detail about buyers sellers uh different areas where your services are un completely valuable in that sure. space, right? Where you need a, you need, if you're buying or you're selling, you have to have an attorney working for you. Well, you don't need an attorney for anything in life, but I think it certainly is recommended. Sure. Uh, and certainly in these crazy times right now, you, everybody talks about this crazy real estate market sure. and uh, you have buyers who are going to waive appraisals. Some buyers are going to waive home inspections and, uh, and people are putting in these offers because they, they just want to get their offer accepted. Right. And then uh, attorney review is really important because it's an opportunity uh, to talk to someone. And, and we try to have a discussion with our clients to make sure they understand mm -hmm. what does that mean that they waived an appraisal or what does that mean that they waived a home inspection? And, sure. And I guess if, like a, con if a fellow was a contractor, he'd be an appropriate guy mm -hmm. to waive a home inspection. I had one sure. recently where I had a, a, a older lady and her three daughters, and they were waiving a home inspection, and they they really we came to the conclusion that was not for them. So we tightened it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, it makes sense, review. Michael. Yeah. And we're going to go through that in a little bit of detail. Before we get there, I just wanted to bring everyone to a new segment in the show, yeah. which is talking about the financial markets and some of the news that could be pertinent for everybody. As everyone may know, the Federal Reserve met last week. Michael, you know they met last week. So they met last week and they came to a decision of what they're going to do with the federal overnight interest rate. And they increased that interest rate from a quarter of a percent to half a percent. Well, why? Right. Why do you increase the interest rate? It's been low for a long period of time. The biggest reason they had to make an increase to that interest rate really was to stave off inflation. Right. Inflation this year is at 7.9%, which is the highest level in 40 years. And as we all see at the grocery store and everywhere we go, the cost of goods are just significantly higher. Right. Now, to break it down in more detail, you know, what is that federal funds rate? And that's the rate that banks charge each other for surplus money that they have. So if I'm a bank and I'm taking all these deposits, I need a certain amount of reserves right. that I can't lend out. But that excess reserves, you can't just have it sitting there doing nothing. You lend it out. You lend it out to other banks. And that's really where that interest rate comes into play. So how does it uh, impact the consumer? So the way that it impacts the consumer is cost of credit cards, cost of consumer credit, cost of home equity line rates. All those numbers go up right. when the Federal Reserve increases their rate. Positive of it is checking accounts and savings accounts as well should see a higher rate of return that we haven't seen in, I don't know. It's been right, it's been five, zero almost, oh, right, for, uh, for years now. Exactly. So there's some pros and cons associated with it. It doesn't directly impact the mortgage market. So the mortgage market is, it's influenced by the Federal Reserve. Right. However, it's really a free market controlled by the mortgage-backed securities market and also by the 10-year Treasury bond yield. So just because the overnight lending rate or the federal funds rate was changed, that doesn't necessarily mean that interest rates are going up. Now, with that being said, ironically, right. they have been going up. Right. So when you look at the national average right now, interest rates are at about 4.75%, where this time last year, they were significantly lower. I mean, beginning of the year, they were closer to 3% right. in the month of December. So we're seeing some changes there. You know, some of the other things that we're seeing that's in part due to inflation are the gas prices. So the gas prices, as we all know, have went up, not directly 
influenced by inflation, but it does have some bearing. So, you know, the interesting thing is, is although you, the United States produces more oil than anybody in the world, we're also the biggest consumer and we consume more than we produce. So as we all know from our economy classes, Econ 101, supply and demand. So the overall world supply is down. Demand hasn't changed. That increases the price. Right. Supply and demand. Supply and demand. You have less supply. This, you have the same demand. And that's going to force your prices up, which is really very similar. To houses. To the housing market. Supply and demand. We have a ton of people out there trying to buy a house. We have high demand. We do not have a lot of inventory. So there's not a lot of sellers there. Supply demand right. forces pricing up, and that's where we're at right now. So just to kind of recap on that, we have the Federal Reserve. They have increased the rates from a quarter of a percent to half a percent. You know, the reason why our oil prices are going up is because it's a global commodity and not just a, a regional issue. And parts of the world don't have the oil that they need right now. And interest rates are up. So the national average somewhere between about 4.75 as of today. And we'll see where that goes moving, right. moving down the line. That's my news update, Michael. There you go. Well, that was very interesting. It reminds me in 1979 when I was on the uh, the oil shortages, the gasoline. You had to be online even or odd days to go get gas for your car. Now, I wasn't driving back then, but you see stories of people getting in fistfights in the lines. Well, I didn't watch the fistfights because I was <laughs> learning how to shift the car. It's, that's how I learned how to shift a car, you know, with a, uh, a manual transmission. So right. They might have been fighting at the pumps, but I don't know. I was just trying to get out of first gear. So you weren't the gear. guy that was involved in the fighting? No, we're just trying to get in first gear. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it was a perfect way to learn to drive a car that had a manual because you had to stop and start, stop and start. You had to shut the car off, wait. It was a long, long line and only on odd and even days. So All right. maybe we're going that way again. Yeah, you never know. Right. So we'll kind of loop this back into real estate. Uh, when you look at buyers, let's talk about people looking to purchase a home right now. Sure. I know with, with home buyers that are in the market for looking for a home, when should they reach out to an attorney? Well, certainly if they've signed a contract, uh, they're going to have to get into attorney review if it's a realtor-prepared contract. Mm -hmm. But I would strongly suggest to folks that uh, when they know they're on that house hunt, uh, you hear the term, get their team together. So I'm sure, sure they're finding an agent and they're on realtor.com looking at houses and probably a good idea to reach out to some uh, professionals or their lenders, their real estate attorney, their uh, realtor to find out what's involved rather than all of a sudden just go put out an offer and all of a sudden, what do I do? Right. So uh, I always welcome a call. I've had people call me three, four, five months ahead of time. That's they great. say, oh, I'm out looking for a house and there's no cost. It's just we have a nice yeah. conversation. I send them some information mm -hmm. and I think it's always a good idea because depending on their situation, maybe they have some questions sure. that we could address for them and maybe steer them in the right direction as to whatever their question might be because there's so many questions out there um, everybody has a different one. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. I heard you use the term attorney review, and you know, so everyone knows kind of define that. You know, you're getting a pre-approved for a mortgage. You probably should be talking to an attorney and a real estate agent. You're going to go out and look for a house. Now you've looked for a house. You're under contract to purchase a house, and you go to attorney review. And that's when the astro burners start to kick in for you, Michael. What's the attorney review process like, typical time frames? Sure. So in the contract, it has a three-day attorney review provision, but that's not necessarily the time it takes to be in and out of attorney review. That simply gives either side on a realtor-prepared contract a right to cancel mm -hmm. for any reason. So as a buyer's attorney, we're trying to get these letters out uh, in attorney review very quickly mm -hmm. because it's such a a volatile market that a, the sellers may get multiple offers. So you want to try and get in and out of review in less than three days if possible. And what this attorney review process is, is an opportunity 
to review a contract. In theory, you don't have to make any changes. You could uh, approve the contract as written. Uh, or usually there's some things that you might want to change. Sometimes our addendums, we'll send out an addendum with some certain seller representations, whether it's about oil tanks, maybe there's solar panels, maybe there's stucco, different things that come up that we might want to include mm-hmm. in an addendum. There's also some stock language in the contract that we may address, but it's an opportunity to address things and, and get a letter out and make some changes. So if the mm-hmm. other side agrees, then everybody signs off or... Oftentimes, both sides are sending some kind of letter because mm-hmm. everybody has maybe some standard changes that they want to make to the contract. Or, or maybe, uh, as we were talking about earlier, about people with appraisals and home inspections, uh, they may be putting certain terms in and maybe trying to tighten things up, uh, making sure people understand what they've mm-hmm. thrown into a contract, which the realtor contract has an additional contractual provision. So oftentimes, that's where people are going to put some of their more attractive terms that, mm-hmm. oh, they're wave- as a buyer, they're waiving appraisal or they're uh, waiving inspection. Now, have you found, found, given the current market, that the attorney review process is taking longer than it has in the past? Is it the same time frame? I think Jordan? that's a fair question. I, I'm going to say both. Okay. So depending, uh, it's probably a little faster, but also because of some of the issues that are coming up, maybe things are taking a little longer depending on... Uh, People put in terms, as an example, someone put in a contract that they're going to a wave appraisal. And the seller, they were picking between 10 offers, and they picked yours because you're waiving appraisal. Sure. But then in an attorney review, and they have an awakening, mm-hmm. and they said, well, I really, I really can't afford to you know, waive appraisal. And then maybe that changes a little bit in attorney review after some soul searching, and, and maybe that will extend things because now there's a back and forth as mm-hmm. to whether that was a good idea or not. Maybe sure. the seller may leave you. Do you find the closing date changes during attorney review? Because I know there's one on the initial contract. Depends, right? Okay. It always depends. Right. So uh, generally, I would say a, a 30 to 45-day closing may be typical. 30, it would be very fast, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you really have to have everything lined up. If you are a cash buyer, 30 days is, is okay. Getting a mortgage, though, typically takes, in a contract, we give 30 days to get a mortgage, 45 days to close. So 45 to 60 days probably mm-hmm. would be typical. But a contract will usually have some hard date, like uh, here where it's the, let's say, April 30th right now. Someone might put on a contract. So we might ask people, is that a good date for you? So the seller may say, well, actually, I need some more time. Or, or there may be some considerations, or everybody's happy with that date. The date's not written in stone. Mm-hmm. So even after everybody's through attorney review and doing what they're doing, that closing date might change We later. see it. It's fluid. We see it m- moving. I like right? fluid, yes. Fluid's good. Yes. It's, it's after <laughs> 5 o'clock somewhere, right? <laughs> Again, draw the shades, Nick. There you go. So what are some of the... When an, a real estate agent puts together a contract, and the buyer and the seller have signed that contract, and it's coming across your desk... What are the things that you see in there that can potentially create some issues? Sure. So the big one right now yeah. is waiving appraisal okay. or waiving home inspection, but different things when we take say an issue. So I don't the contract itself's not an issue, but yeah. going through things with people, making sure that the fill in the blanks are agreeable to them. I was talking to someone today and the contract says they're gonna borrow uh, seven hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And then they said, well, I think we really rather borrow 960. So okay. that might be perceived as a big change. But in that particular case, the, the folks were also waiving appraisal. So we had a big discussion about that. And that sure. was one of the reasons they wanted to go to, in their case, that would have been 80% to 960. Mm-hmm. They said, well, let me, let me raise my mortgage amount. That way, in case it does underappraise, I know I, can, I have the cash anyways. I'll just 
borrow less. Sure. So they, they figured might as well borrow that if they can. Right. So we'll have a discussion. So when we say issue, um, you know, whether something becomes contentious, right? Yeah. So uh, an issue would be just identifying things, making sure people understand the appraisal language, that they have enough money or that they, they can or cannot do mm-hmm. it, home inspections. Um, or popular right now is standard in a contract is 14 days to have a home inspection. Right. But then they're writing at the end of the contract only for structural, only for major. Mm-hmm. And then maybe there's a, a defin trying to define what is it Sure. That we're doing a home inspection. Certainly, a home inspection should just be for real things, yeah. not cosmetic items and things like that. And you bring up a great point. So I use the term issue, right? What are the issues that can come out? And right. in with listening to you, Michael, it's really you know what's negotiable in there, right? right. So what can change? You know how everyone can work together <laughs> and stru- structure things before we're out of attorney review and have a firm contract. I'll go with that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because right, and they, that's your job. To help people I mean, yeah, under either absolutely. we're going to make some changes to the contract. Yep. Maybe we'll make some changes. Some of the things that we do, and I would say as, as a buyer's attorney or seller's attorney, and, yeah. and of course I'm seeing everybody else's letters too. So uh, I say real estate attorneys generally are all on the same page. We're all going to have pretty similar letters because sure. there's certain language where a buyer's attorney is going to ask a seller to make certain representations. So they're really fact-finding missions. So mm-hmm. it's not like an issue. It's not like a change, but good due diligence to ask the seller, have you had oil tanks in the past? Mm-hmm. Um uh, do you have stucco? Do you have asbestos? There's certain language that is just pretty standard. And the idea is that, oh, the seller's attorney is going to read through this with the seller mm-hmm. and double check these things. So we're trying to unearth things earlier rather than find sure. out during a home inspection. Now, or that could be like that. part of the, the Another good point that you bring up, you look at asbestos or oil tanks in the ground and different things like that. Are those the things that get vetted during attorney review? Well, those issues come up. So, uh, okay. Even today, I was talking to someone, and we're looking at the house, and I said, I don't know how old that house is. I mean, I could look on the list and get sure. an idea. And certain developments, I may have a personal feeling that I know that development never had an oil tank ever. It was built in, you know, 1985. Right. But other developments, uh, you don't know how old they are. They're built in the 70s, mm-hmm. late 60s. They may or may not have had oil tanks. So sure. being around for 30 years, I might spot an address and say, oh, that's in a certain development. And But I never want to put my own personal knowledge and I, I, I don't know. It, right. Anything could have happened over 30 years and and so a particular house may or may not have had oil so we'll recommend people get an oil tank search and then or unless they know that it was just recently built you know in the last mm-hmm. five years that's highly unlikely right. Now so, are those things required so as an uh, asbestos test or an oil tank sweep you know different things that can come up that can create a real problem right for someone trying to purchase a home right. are they required I would say nothing's required, so to speak, right? So you can make an offer to buy a house and say, uh, as long as you have clear title, I'm buying it. And that's that's the end of it, right? But a typical contract, right, usually going to put in a home inspection provision and a mortgage contingency. So uh, from a business judgment, right, we say, well, good idea to do a home inspection. So you offer to buy a a house for, I don't know, 600000 and But it looks good to me, but I'm not a home inspector. Sure. So the contract will provide that you can bring a home inspector through. That home inspector is there to identify, really should be for major things. Is there? There's cracks in the basement. Some cracks mm-hmm. might be normal settlement cracks. Some might be horizontal cracks and bulging. And they'll say, oh, you should get an engineer. So I think that's when you say get vetted, that maybe uh, we're going to look at home inspections might reveal things. Sure. But in the attorney review process also, talking to people, I see stucco on the house. Right. Uh, we talk about oil tanks. And so we're trying to talk about these things. So to see if these are things they need to investigate as part of their due diligence or inspections. Sure. No, make, makes perfect sense. So when you, you bring up home inspections, so now we're out of attorney review, which essentially means that the attorneys 
are on the same page with the transaction? I'll say the parties, right? Okay. The buyer and the seller, everybody's in agreement that everybody's happy mm -hmm. with the terms. The terms are the major terms of any contract, price, closing date, what's included, washer, dryer, yeah. et cetera. And that would probably be the, the most basic term. So along the way, we've included home inspections. So now that we're out of attorney review, typically, right? Because someone yep. may have waived home inspections. Sure. So typically, they're going to proceed in that first 14-day time period to have their home inspections. That would be their chance mm -hmm. to ask a seller to fix or repair things. Typically, that buyer is going to communicate to the sellers via their attorney. Mm -hmm. So the attorney's office will uh, do a home inspection letter, hopefully help the buyer uh, figure out what are fair things to ask, or if there's something right. that they really shouldn't ask, hopefully that attorney is going to be able to guide them a little bit and say, well, that's not necessarily a fair ask. You know, the purple walls are purple, and you can't ask them to paint the purple walls. Right. So, but, and, and once in a while, I've had it in 30 years, someone ask, oh, I don't like the color on the wall. Right. I don't think that's a fair home inspection request. Well, and then you look at the home inspection. So you have a certain amount of time after attorney review to have the home inspections done. And this is one of the big reasons why you want to work with people with experience. Sure. And Michael's been doing it 30 plus years. I've been doing this about 24 years on the mortgage side is things change, right? So a, a typical home inspection that you would see five years ago versus today, although they may have the same items on them, right? they're not as negotiable today as they may have been five years ago, right? Depending on well, the market depending type. Depending on the sellers, right? As, yeah. uh, if I represent a seller, I describe a home inspection as buyer can have a home inspection. And then you as a seller, you could say yes or no. Right. So depending on right market conditions, if you've had 10 offers and it, depending on how they price their house and everybody has a different psychology. Sure. So, and you could have one house and have so to speak, five different sellers, you're going to get five different opinions if you had, you know, that same house. So everybody's different. So you can't put everybody in that same uh, box. Right. And everybody's treated. You have buyers who are new buyers and they're inexperienced. You have contractor types who are buying a house and they're very experienced and they come to the table with a different expectation. So sure. I, I guess our role is to help people figure out what their expectations are and to sure. to fairly uh, negotiate that that now, road towards buying that yeah, home. And it seems like in like a market today, which we all know it's what would be termed as a seller's market, right? Sure. What seller's market is right. basically there's not a lot of inventory and a ton of buyers. So right. the sellers have more no inventory almost. or no, yeah, right. no inventory. So in a seller's market, home inspection, you know, sellers looking at that saying, I'm not fixing anything. Right. Where in another market where there's a ton of inventory and there's not a lot of people purchasing homes, sellers saying, I'll fix everything because I got to sell right. my house, right? And that's really the ebbs and flows of our business. Absolutely. And the things that change. Absolutely. So, all right. So we're out of the inspection time frame on it. Right. And one of the important dates is the commitment date. The mortgage contingency date. Very important, go. right? So in the mortgage, you know, and, and Michael and I have had conversations uh, about this and I have the conversations every day with buyers th that I'm working with. That mortgage commitment date is really the date that's on the contract. Two important dates, right? The commitment right. date and the closing date. Yes. You have the commitment. And the home inspection date. In the home inspection date. We got to get yeah. over. There are hurdles we got to get over to get to that closing date. So right. once we're past that home inspection, yay, we're on. Now we're going on. Now the mortgage commitment. Right. We want to see a written promise from the bank to, to loan the, the buyer money. Yeah, that's it. Right. So now it's been through underwriting and everything. You have your commitment date. And then now that we have a commitment, what happens from there? I mean, I know we have title insurance that needs to be ordered, and that's something that you're intimately involved with, sure. right? Right. So our job or role as a, an attorney for the buyer yeah. is to make sure that a title search is ordered. 
And then in this market, it used to be maybe you order it after home inspections, after the mortgage commitment, traditionally years ago, right? Once you have your mortgage commitment, now we're going to order the title. Right. But I think in this market, generally, we're going to be ordering title uh, sometimes right after attorney review or, or at least to make sure we've gotten through a home inspection to get the title ordered because, one, we want to make sure that the seller owns the home, right? Sure. It would be a real shocker if they don't own the house. But uh, title issues could be that they have open mortgages they don't know about, judgments from prior owners. Different things could come up, and that's what a title search is going to reveal. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, a title insurance policy will be issued to the buyer that protects them that if there was something missed, that there's something about uh, the seller, uh, they needed another signer, they, there was an open mortgage nobody found, there was a judgment, something came up, a tax lien, the buyer's protected, that's what title insurance insurance is going to protect them. And then, they, of course, they'd have to put a claim in if sure. something surfaced. And that's basically so no one can show up and say, whoa, wait a second. Well, they could still I show up, believe- though. Okay. But now you have title insurance to protect it and, and hey, get it- those people paid off. Got so, it. Right. And there's two different types of title insurance. There's lender's title insurance and there's owner's title insurance. Right. From a, a buyer's perspective, yeah. you know, to see is title insurance. But sure. they would break it up into two title policies. So mm-hmm. that's often confusing for a buyer. Why are there two policies? Well, your lender gets a policy, a lender's policy, so they get protected. And I guess really in, in case there's a foreclosure, they're, they're protected. Mm-hmm. And then the buyer, that once they pay off their mortgage, they're still left with a title policy in their hand that protects them that they own the home, no liens, no judgments, et cetera. And then the the premium, the state of New Jersey has like one premium for your title insurance, but then they break it up. So the more you borrow, uh, more of the premium is allocated towards the lender policy and mm-hmm. less is towards the owner or vice versa, like a seesaw. But, but it's a it's a fixed dollar amount, it's right? It's a fixed Michael? dollar amount. There's a, I have a booklet in the office where I could actually yeah. look up and see at this purchase price, how much is the total title insurance premium? And that's regulated by the state of New Jersey. So it goes up or down based on your purchase price. Right. And you always need a title insurance policy. Okay. I, I would not want to represent a buyer who doesn't want one. Okay. So because even if someone's paying cash and I, and I don't need anything from anybody, title well, insurance you have to that get. That would be penny wise and pound foolish on their part. And as an attorney, yeah. I would say, I don't want to represent you. Wow. Right? Because I, I don't want to insure the title. I'm, I'm, I'm not out there searching the title. You got to sure. get a title search. And even if you get a title search, what if, the, what if something got missed? Right. And that's a a pretty good safe bet for the title company. They, they're not really going to miss that much, right. right? If anything. But once in a while, anything could happen. And sure. that's why you need title. It's relatively inexpensive when you when you look at, at the overall uh, expense of buying hey, I get, a house. I got a question for you. Sure. Have you ever ran into a situation where the person selling the house doesn't own it on the title? That's an interesting one. We, I had one where I had a, a, a couple of fellows, they own a home, uh, vacant land. They thought okay. they own it. Turns out they don't. Wow. That they, they inherited it from Uncle Joe okay. years ago, and they had been paying the taxes to the tax collector for well over 20 years. Mm-hmm. So we actually brought a quiet title action, actually uh, went to Ocean County Court to bring a quiet title to get the deed in their name because it was just well known that Uncle Joe gave them the property, but nobody could find a deed. <laughs> and even the town had them listed as right. the owners. So that's, a, that's why you need an attorney. As an, an interest, <laughs> weird stuff comes up. Sure. Or, or, uh, we had one once, it's rare that a file doesn't close because of a title search, right? Sure, yeah. We had one where a seller had so many judgments and this and that, and it, it, he couldn't clear it. On one hand, probably could count how many deals really don't happen because of a of a title search where they yeah. can't clear their title problems. Usually, things could be resolved. There's sure. an open mortgage. It's just a matter of hunting it down. And just to piggyback off the clear title, you just yeah. you can't transfer ownership if the title's not clear. So if there's encumbrances against that property, right? Someone's got to lean on the property. Sure. You can't sell it to somebody else 
until that lien's paid. So to speak. So I guess you could. Yeah. So a buyer could buy it subject to right. these problems. Sure. So that would be a, a real educated person has to do that to figure out what is it that they're buying into. So they could take title and know that there's a tax sale certificate outstanding. If they chose to do that, that would be a risk on their part. So usually those are the things that are identified, cleared up, sure. and then before the closing. But uh, years ago, people might take it subject to a, a mortgage, and, and then they figure they're going to figure it out. So uh. that, that is possible. I don't deal with people like that. I, deal like, I love to say I deal with regular buyers and sellers. <laughs> and then, but there are investors out there that they might take bad title because they think they're going to fix it. Right. So that, that is an interesting well, uh, Some people scenario. are more aggressive than others. Right. That's for sure. And in a crazy market, if they're more uh, of the investor type, sure. maybe that's something they want to give a shot to. Well, Michael, thank you for that. We're going to go to a quick break and then okay. come back in a minute and pick up our conversation. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Michael. So I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor today. Our sponsor today is Main Street Donuts based out of Belmar, New Jersey. I mean, man, they have delicious donuts, gourmet, artisanal donuts. They have delicious seasonal donuts as well. They have the mermaid donut. They have a margarita donut. They're just delicious. They make them hand, handmade, made on location. You can watch them make the donuts. Great place to bring your family to see what they're doing, how the donuts are prepared, and then also enjoy uh, some delicious gourmet donuts. Soon to be opening an additional location on Main Street in Matawan, New Jersey, and that's coming this spring. Again, please check them out. Main Street Donuts currently in Belmar, New Jersey, and opening up one soon in Matawan, New Jersey. Well, welcome back, everybody. It's myself, Greg Wareham, on Your Mortgage Process, along with attorney Michael Gutman. Michael, welcome back. Thank you. Did you enjoy your break? I did. You didn't did. get any additional water, I noticed. Well, I'm not feeling parched. <laughs> so we were having a sidebar conversation uh, during the break about ta uh, taxes, property taxes being paid. Right. And the question came up from Nick, our producer, about if taxes fall behind and someone else is paying those taxes, then the person paying those taxes could eventually foreclose. foreclose. They foreclose eventually the they property. could foreclose. So I would imagine there's a whole business in that. Right, people buy uh, tax certificates. Yes, that's mm. a business all by itself. Um, I, I had an attorney friend who had an attorney friend who that's all they did huh. is buy tax sale certificates. So I do have a story about tax sale certificates. Yeah, let's hear yeah. it. So one, Nick's question was this whole tax sale certificate thing is so someone doesn't pay their real estate taxes. So then I guess you could swoop in and it used to be, I don't know how it is now, but you used to look in the newspaper and say, oh, what's coming up? And then you go bid on these uh, tax sale certificates, if you're a successful bidder, you pay the tax collector. This is the Reader's Digest, right? You pay the tax collector. Now you are in position that you're the one paying the taxes. And I guess you still have to continue to pay the taxes to hold your position. And then sure. if no one else is paying them, you could foreclose on your tax sale certificate. So you have, and then the nice thing about a tax sale certificate, most people do it because they're going to get a high rate of interest. I, I don't know, is it 8%, 9%, 18%? Mm -hmm. um, and then as a buyer's attorney, if a tax sale certificate comes up in a title search, we just know that, okay, they got to get a payoff from the tax collector who reaches out to the guy who owns the tax sale certificate. Mm -hmm. And so you get your payoff from the tax collector and they get paid off at a closing. But the guy who has the tax sale certificate, he's like investing his money at, I guess they can make 18% or whatever, a whopping, right? And, wow. And uh, so the reason I said I have a story is most people don't want to foreclose. But one guy might have the idea, I'm going to 
invest in tax sales certificates mm-hmm. so I can ultimately foreclose. So that could be a strategy. Or I had a client, he had his money in a, a Keo plan, right? Some kind of sure. uh, IRA yeah. type thing. And his Keo plan was the investor. And he had the smart idea they would buy tax sales certificates. Within the plan. They own the tax sales certificates. Wow. And it was going pretty good. They're making, uh, I don't know, 18%. It was great. Except, it was a good one, except... One of the properties uh, they had to foreclose on. Oh. Because I guess you keep paying and paying and eventually got to foreclose. So that foreclosure process wasn't so pretty. So right. they were just, they just thought, oh, invest and make 18%. But that's why someone who knows what they're doing for a foreclosure, like I just do house closing, people buying and selling houses. I don't sure. do foreclosure. Because that's a whole area of practice that to really know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So they, in their mind, investor-wise, that was not part of the game plan. Sure. And they ended up owning a property they had no choice. Right. But that was a bit of a surprise. So that's the interesting thing about uh, tax sales You know, it's funny about tax, because I get the question all the time in the mortgage space, do I yeah. have to include my property taxes as part of my mortgage payment, right? Do I have to escrow my property taxes? Well, right. first of all, if you're putting down less than 20%, you do not even have the option. You have to escrow. No choice. That's right. But if you're putting down 20%, you have the option to do it, but it can come at an additional cost. And the reason that it would come at an additional cost is for this exact situation. If you do not pay your property taxes, then someone can come in, potentially purchase the tax certificates, right? Pay your tax for you and try to foreclose or put a lien on the property. It is a lien on the property. And tax liens usurp a mortgage lien. They got to get paid first. They do. The tax collector, right? So that's why people have to escrow their property taxes. And the lender wants to be protected. That's why they want to be the guy paying the taxes rather than letting the homeowner pay them. Absolutely. Because what you find on the mortgage end, if someone, if you have a tax shortage, right, you're escrowing for property taxes, there's a tax shortage. The mortgage company always works with you to try to pay that money back over the course of time because they know they have to pay the property taxes. Absolutely. The mortgage company's got to pay. So- so just kind of recap where we were at. I mean, we're under contract to purchase a home through attorney review. We had our inspections done. You kind of work through all the inspection issues. We're going to order our title Getting early the in the title search ordered. Yep. Early in the process, just based on the market, we have a mortgage commitment. After the mortgage commitment. From a lending standpoint, you're just getting some additional documents. You're working with the attorney. You're working with the title company. And then we become clear to close. And that's an expression that people have heard before. Clear to close. Clear to close. Everyone yeah, likes to clear exciting. to close. So now comes closing day. What's closing day look like, Michael? So closing day is hopefully bright and sunny. <laughs> uh, but it could be raining. Actually, raining might be good if you're doing a walkthrough. Luck. I heard it's good luck. Well, if there's any leaks, we're going to find out that day that's for right. sure. So uh, on the day of closing, well, actually, probably the day before, no, three days before closing. Okay. Shall we go back in time? Let's do it. Back in time. Closing disclosure. Right. The yes. CD. How about that new term, CD, closing disclosure? Closing disclosure. I just like to call it a closing statement. But that's the new term, closing disclosure. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you've been doing it a long time. It used right? to not be called that. Right. It used to be called a HUD. A HUD. HUD 1. Yep. A RESPA. Yes. Right? A RESPA. Yes. Real Estate Settlement Procedure Act. Right. So uh, we're mentioning that. So the nice yeah. thing is, you know what it makes me think about? The four o'clock phone call. So mm. we'll get to the day of closing, but I thought about the four o'clock phone call. Okay. And unfortunately, in this business, before TRID, which right. implemented this three-day thing that the buyer should get their closing statement at least three days prior to closing. Right? Yes. But it used to be, sometimes you got a four o'clock phone call the day before the closing. Something. You know, I'm the seller's attorney. I get the four o'clock phone call. Something's wrong with the buyer's mortgage. Something, they didn't get the package, this or that. Right. And sure enough, you're like, 
Are they getting the package? And this is like in the day of overnights. Right. Are they getting their package the next morning? Is it closing tomorrow? Just didn't know. Right. So this TRID thing, it really has been very, very helpful yeah. in that it, and I think all they had to do is do the three-day thing and not all the other stuff. Sure. But, uh, right, it took a closing statement from two pages to 507. <laughs> but uh, but actually, the new CD yeah. is actually very helpful. I like reading through it with a client. It does explain everything. Yeah, it kind of breaks everything down. Sure. So the CD, which we're talking about, this closing statement, now the buyer has their figures ahead of time, and it's a great way to identify once in a while. Someone says, wait a minute, there was a credit from the seller or this mm -hmm. or that, and we're heading it off at the pass. Yeah. And that way, the day of closing is going to be much much smoother. Sure. So three days in advance, people have their figures, uh, our opportunity to make sure they're there. And we talked about the four o'clock phone call. But now uh, the day of closing comes and probably the day before because they've gotten their figures. And a good thing to note also is that three day closing statement could change a little bit, sure. but uh, not a lot of it. So there might be some minor tax adjustment. Yeah, and you bring up change. a great point with that closing disclosure and trade. And that was a huge benefit for people looking to purchase a home. Right. Because cause now the loan officer has the opportunity to go through yep. that preliminary closing disclosure to make sure that everything's there that needs to be there. Are there credits right. there? Make sure they know exactly what 25 years ago, I was yeah. sitting at, I was a seller's attorney. I'm sitting at, when we all went to the closings, that's another topic, right? Right. So I was sitting at a closing. I'm watching the face of the buyer as he saw the closing statement for the first time. Someone just told him what money to bring. And then he's just reading through the closing statement. And, and it was a real, you know, surprise to them. So I think... Take the anxiety the, out of it. It, it made right? it so Everyone much does. easier. Just it makes the day of closing a lot more fun. Right. So the day of closing, people should be doing a walkthrough, make sure the seller's moved out okay, no holes in the wall, that kind of thing. And so to just talk about that for a second. Yeah. So the walkthrough is basically the the buyer of the home walks through the house the day of closing to make uh, sure that- I would say the morning of for you. The morning right? of, okay. Could be the day before, but then yeah. maybe we should go back the next day too, just in case there was a tornado. Yeah, great point. You never know. Make sure everything's intact. Make sure items that were supposed to be left in the house are left in the house. Right. And then they come to closing. To our place for closing, which yeah. could be at my office. We yeah. love to have it at our office because it's just more fun. Uh, it could take place at the title company. Uh, and this whole pandemic thing that we just had, right. we actually, when nobody could go anywhere, we were actually closing at the house to limit wow. exposure. We said, okay, they're at the house doing the walkthrough anyways. Just send a closer from the title come right to the house mm -hmm. and close it at the kitchen counter. So... Um, it, you know, we could do it there too. So after the closing, typically they'll come back to our office. Uh, on my end as a buyer's attorney, I enjoy going through the mortgage package mm -hmm. with the buyer. So there's a, a mortgage package, which is the, the note, which is borrowing of money. There's the mortgage that they're going to sign where they're going to put a lien on the property in favor of the lender. And then there's more paper to, I think it's about this thick, which is uh, about a, you know, a foot and a half thick. No, <laughs> it's not that bad. Uh, but all these different papers. Sure. And then there's a good discussion items in the mortgage package. Like there's an escrow disclosure. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a, a good, fun one. It, I love it. Why because not? it looks like a checkbook register and it right. shows the buyer, what is this darn escrow thing? This thing where the lender is going to pay their taxes and homeowners insurance. And it lays it out just like a checkbook register. So right. they can see every month their deposits and how the lender is paying their taxes every three months. And the lender is going to pay their homeowners insurance in a year from now. So I, I find that that process of going through that package is 
uh, beneficial for the buyer because now they, someone's going through that mortgage package with them. And so the day of closing, they sign the mortgage. And the old days, right, and, and we have a pretty big conference room in our office, it used to be everybody was at the closing, the buyer, the sellers, a couple of attorneys, a couple of realtors, a couple of little kids running around the table. And now <laughs> Do you have any candy in the office for the kids? No. Well, you got to ask the parents first if you ever have candy. No, no sugar. All right. Sugar is bad. Call. Good call. Oh, that could be dangerous. I offer him a cup of coffee. Um, yeah, coffee's good. <laughs> as long as you're 10 or older. But no sugar in the coffee right. for the kids. They get it straight up with right. cream. Um, so the, the closings have changed, right? It right. used to be everybody was there. And now typically at the closing, the sellers simply have overnighted their documents, which has really nothing to do with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's because people started getting wires. So nobody, everybody used to go to the closing. They got a check. Right. But now... I'm not getting a check. I'm getting a wire. So they typically the seller's side will overnight their documents, and the only people at a closing is the buyer, their attorney, um, uh, a guy or gal from the title company who's the, sitting there as a settlement mm -hmm. agent to, who's there to uh, do the disbursements, as they say. Hey, Michael, I just want to sure. ask you a question right there. The mystery of the wire and where the money goes. Yeah. So I'm buying a house, and someone asked me to wire $250,000 for my closing. Where does the money go? Sure. So it used to be the old days, right? You brought a bank check or a yep. cashier's check to the uh, bank check, cashier or a certified check to the closing. Um, now you do a wire. So when we say a wire, you're going to go to your bank mm -hmm. and you have wire instructions. Now we have to talk about wires. So you do have wire instructions so that you'll send your money right from your bank right to the title company. Mm -hmm. The title company is doing the closing because they're going to make the disbursements. When we say disbursements, that closing statement that we look at, it represents dollars and cents. So mm -hmm. at, there's a bottom line. The seller is going to get X amount of dollars. So that title company is going to write them a check, so to speak, or maybe they'll wire them their proceeds. Mm -hmm. The realtor's commissions are listed on the seller side. So the title company is writing out checks for the real estate commission, mm -hmm. um, other costs and expenses. They're, they're literally, so to speak, writing sure. checks. So because it, we're talking about wires, then we yeah. got to go down that rabbit hole. Sure. You know, it's funny because I get the question from buyers all the time. How many checks do I need at the closing? Oh. Or how many wires do I need? Now, right. the wire world is just one. So it, should, it could be it, one. It could be more, right? Okay. If you have it in two different places. Sure. But then you know what I say to someone when they tell me it's in two different places? What? Please check with your lender. Yeah. Because maybe they're going to use a bank account that they never told anybody they had. Great and that point, might Michael. not be good. So I always tell them, please check with your lender. Or when they start, say, oh, my dad's giving me, please check with your lender that this... Make the make sure the funds are kosher. No, that's a great point too, Michael. Because right. as a reminder to everyone, every dollar that's used for a closing on a mortgage when you're buying a house has to be sourced. Source of funds. Source there of funds. Go. Source seasons. I we mean, find God, this so exciting, don't we? Isn't it great. It is. <laughs> but you got to know where that money's coming that's right. from. So I think I used the example uh, on last podcast or two podcasts ago about someone who showed up with cash at the closing. I've no had cash that. at the closing. You've had it as I've well. I've had that. Yeah. To show up with cash. It, they had a paper bag, and when they dumped out the money, it was like this white powder was all over the place. Well, no, that was a, they were in the pizza business. It was flour, you know. But uh, once in a while, so then I said, look, I, I have to take this to the bank. And then it, there would, because it was a, that the whole thing with $10,000, and you got to get right. a, 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 sure. a, whatever they gave you, a piece of paper, and it's got to be reported. So nobody really wants to deal in cash. And, and they were sorry they brought cash because I'm a very slow counter. I had to count it back in the day. I was counting out the cash on the table yeah. and made little piles. Was there, were there any uh, change rolls in there? Like a $10 roll of quarters or it anything? It was uh, quarters and nickels. Yeah, that, that didn't yeah. take too long. But I told them no pennies. Right. Because I'm not counting that. You have your standards. 
That's right. <laughs> I have to draw the line somewhere. Time is money, Michael. That's right. <laughs> so we were talking about wires. So we yeah. don't want to, not for, the, the rabbit hole part is, so absolutely, we're going to ask buyers to wire money to the title company. Mm-hmm. But my emails, my paralegals' emails, I, I think probably your emails, sure. everybody in the industry at the bottom of our email says, don't do any wires without talking to your people. Right. So we caution everybody during attorney review, <laughs> the bottom of every email, when we tell them to do it, we say, yeah. you're going to get a phone, you're going to get an email, don't do it. Yeah. Don't send a wire without first calling the office and making sure that the email that you got is legitimate. And it may look like it's from me. It may yeah. look like it's from your lender. It may look like it's from the title company. And uh, and those are absolutely out there. I get phone calls from clients that they did receive a fake email. Luckily, they call me. Yeah. And, and everybody, so we talk about this like that's a nonstop you know, item every I, I'm day. I'm glad you, that you brought that up. It's a big and one. This is kind of, you know, it's a joke back and forth. This is absolutely yeah. critical because absolutely. there are scam artists out there. They're very creative. Extremely. And it has happened before. It hasn't necessarily happened to us, but it has happened in the industry before. So you do definitely, as a consumer, you have to make sure that you're double-checking when you're sending that kind of money. And wires are safe to do. The key is we have to follow these protocols that you make sure you call your attorney to verify that the email you got with wire instructions is really the wire instructions. And there's a process on our end. So there's two different wires that we're really talking about. We're talking about the wire that the buyer has to send to They're going to send money to the title company. And then you have the wire coming from the bank for the residual money, right? Most of the money is coming from the bank, Most of the money, right? right. The buyer is going to borrow money and that comes from the bank and the bank sends it to the title company. And that goes through a whole clearinghouse. So the, the funds that we're sending come through very securely, goes through a clearinghouse, to make its way to the closing I, table. I always thought it was a briefcase full of cash that they sent to the title company. I don't it's know. too bad. Oh. <laughs> else? So, so it is a wire. So I have a question. All right, so now we're we're closing. I just want to touch really quick, shift gears a little bit to the seller side. Sellers. We've talked about Can't have buyers, buyers without sellers. Yes. That's a There's true. two two parties involved in the right. transaction. So on the seller side, we were talking about title earlier. And what are some of the the pitfalls on the seller side that you can see that can create some challenges for getting a transaction done? So for a seller, meaning that uh, maybe there was a, maybe they've owned the home for a long time and they've refinanced a couple of times. Yeah. Um, years ago, when I first started, lenders, you paid off your mortgage and the mortgage company didn't send the discharge or the satisfaction of the mortgage to the county clerk. They sent it. To the homeowner, hey, congratulations, here's your note, marked paid. Oh, here's your canceled mortgage. Take it to the county clerk and record it. So, Wow, I and, don't remember that. Well, I'm that, a I'm, I'm that old. You look good, though, Michael. Yeah. I like the beard. I, Pretty I good for 75. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> um, no, I'm not 75. So, But right, in the beginning, that was yeah. a typical problem. Now it's not so bad, right. unless you get a very old client. Um, so it used to be that's how they did it for some reason. But mm-hmm. now the lender... They get paid off, and they'll send it to the county clerk. You, as the homeowner, get a letter that says, hey, congratulations, your, your loan was paid off. They usually send you a copy or even a copy of the transmittal letter mm-hmm. of the, the mortgage going to the county clerk to be removed of record. So sure. on a real estate transaction, maybe there's an open mortgage that shows up, mm-hmm. and we'll invite our client to—everybody has that file folder or shoebox full of all their real estate stuff. So it's— Bring it in. Just bring it in. Dump it mm-hmm. on the table. And we'll sift through with them. Sometimes they might have an actual discharge of mortgage or a mortgage endorsed for cancellation that needed to go to the county clerk. So that might be a, so to speak, a typical, that's a title issue, but it's not really a big deal. Sure. Meaning it, it's resolvable. Or 
uh, like we, I have a paralegal in the office, Denise. She is like the, the queen of title. She'll track down open mortgages and it's, she'll be on the phone for hours. So sometimes someone might have an open mortgage that was paid off. Now that lender's no longer around and you got to find the successor lender. So hopefully you could get a discharge of mortgages mm. and there's other ways of resolving those. So things do come up Sure. and, uh, you know, that's where an attorney's office is really helpful to a seller because most people don't know what to do. So, uh, and then getting someone who's experienced, there's even companies out there that specialize in just tracking down mm. old mortgages to get discharges. So that's the kind of thing that could come up on. Especially title. when they're old, cause you're dealing with paper plus electronic. You have a whole, right. there's a lot of different moving parts. So in recent, it. so I don't see it as much as like 30 years ago, 25 years ago, it was a right. little more typical. Like someone would bring in, they actually had that canceled. So mortgage. now the sellers should hire you too. If they know they're going to sell their house, they need to talk to you as well. I right think out it would the be case. a good idea. Right. And also because I, I find that, you know, uh, when you say an attorney, right, you say counselor, right. right? So an attorney is a counselor and an advisor. So mm. not only are we there to suggest changes to the words on the contract, but I think just to be able to talk about the transaction. So mm -hmm. even without making changes, does it talk about things? So in this market where sellers are receiving offers, I've had clients where they're getting a highest and best, and they had like 10 offers. And they're like, which one do I pick? Right. And we'll talk about it. And we'll look at each of them and see what's the differences. This guy has a mortgage. This guy's cash. This right. one's more. This one's less. He's waiving home inspection. He's not. And to try and digest and, and sort through it together. So right. I think that's one benefit uh, sure. you know, attorney provides. And then kind of to go deeper on that, highest and best is essentially, hey, we want by 5 o'clock today, we want your best offer for this property. Right. And then you go through those different offers with the potential seller, with the seller. Right. And that's where yeah. it's very invaluable, I think, for, you know, uh, the seller who has a, a good listing agent, right? That, right? that listing agent is really the one stuck coordinating sure. all of these people, telling about the highest and best, asking for it by a certain time. And, and that agent mm -hmm. is also uh, reviewing it with their seller. And that's why you hire a, a great realtor is to help you uh, sure. get through this crazy market. Yeah, no, no question. Now, on the seller side, what are the costs that they're going to incur? We know there's buyer closing costs with escrows sure. and everything like so, that. What so basically, that there's only three costs for a seller. Okay. And anything else would be like paying off a mortgage, water, sewer, tax. So you have a real estate transfer tax. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, we're going to say that slightly less than 1% of the sales price, mm -hmm. unless you're over 62 and then it's like half the price. Mm -hmm. And there's some other exceptions. If you're disabled, mm -hmm. it would be half the price. Um, if you're a, a veteran disabled, I think it was a veteran disabled uh, in wartime, no real estate transfer tax. Right. Um, then uh, you have a real estate transfer tax. Then you have your real estate commission. And mm -hmm. then you have your legal fee. Those would be your three basic costs. Anything else, paying off your water, sewer, and taxes. Uh, if you have a mortgage, they're getting paid off at closing. So now that this, would be your basic cost. So now we know that on the buyer side, you have to have that closing disclosure three days ahead of time. On the seller side, you wouldn't need, it, they don't use a closing disclosure on the seller side. Is it like a- So on the seller okay. side, the, the form now, yeah. they call it a closing disclosure. So there is a seller mm. closing disclosure. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about the closing disclosure, it only has, so for the buyer, yeah. it only has the signature of the buyer. Mm -hmm. You have the closing disclosure for the seller. It only has the signature of the seller. <laughs> so everybody liked the old HUD, which was had everybody's numbers, buyer and seller, on the same form. And it was signed by buyer and seller, but it also was signed by the settlement agent. Mm -hmm. So that's an important signature because those are the guys who are actually paying out all the money, writing out all the checks. So at a closing, we'll have an ALTA, 
which stands for American Land Transfer Act. Mm-hmm. And that's a, they call it combined closing statement. So the old HUD had two columns side by side. I remember. So this one now is just the two columns are separated left and right In on the, the page. In the altar. Right, the altar. So yeah. it's basically a HUD, right? Yeah. And so the altar is signed by both parties. So you would see it there. So generally, I think we do get our seller closing statements ahead of time. We're not getting the morning of the closing because mm-hmm. uh, once the title company, and this is where that three-day trip thing was really uh, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. All they had to do was sell everybody, do the closing statement three days in advance. Right. So uh, we get them usually uh, a couple of days prior to closing and things might have been uh, on the contract. Maybe there was a, a seller was giving a, a home inspection credit or mm-hmm. maybe there were some other things uh, that needed to go on the closing statement. Maybe someone had a two mortgages. Maybe they had something else that had to be paid off, something special. So uh, we were communicating with the buyer's title company as mm-hmm. the seller's side to make sure everything is on the closing statement. And that closing statement should be reviewed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our officer reviews everything with our clients. And I would say that for every attorney, they're going to send it to their, clo- their client and to review all the dollars and cents. And you know what? It's on both sides of the equation. You know, one thing that people don't always know is money is trued up to the day of closing. So when you look at the property taxes, you look at per diem interest, you look at uh, SOAR, anything like that, if a, if a seller's overpaid, right. say for property taxes, well, they get credited back from the buyer. Right. So some yeah. numbers are going to be fixed, but as you yeah. point out, your taxes change every day. So we yeah. do what's a, a tax adjustment. We figure out what the seller or what the real estate taxes are for the whole year. You could actually look up the New Jersey state statute mm. and see, it tells you, you take 365 day a year, take your whole taxes, divide it by 365, and then figure out what day of the year you're on, <laughs> what day is the seller's responsible for, and there's this whole calculation. A lot of people just take 90 days, to, you know, quarter divided by 90, come up with a term right. number, but that's not the way to do it. So it is kind of fun to do a tax calculation. <laughs> you're an excited guy, Michael. Uh-uh. These are the <laughs> things that thrill me. Are you kidding? I think I woke up at four this morning just thinking about a nice tax calculation. Right. It was, uh, it was I, good. I yeah. mean, what's not to love? Oh. It's exciting. It's like a puzzle. Right. So now we have the, we have the buyer side. We have the seller side. Now it's closing day. Oh, so what a good time. Yeah. I mean, we went through. You do the walkthrough in the morning. Right. So the, at the closing, the, the buyer would assign their mortgage yep. papers. Now they've borrowed money. Now they can buy a house. The seller, let's say they were there, but maybe they were overnight delivery. So now we say the closing's done. We congratulate the uh, the buyer. Although there could be a funding. a funding. Some lenders have what's called a... Um, Funding condition. Uh, a funding uh, number or a, yeah. what was the other term? Funding, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Funding condition. Funding requirement. Yeah. And so you have to, some of the lenders that you just send a couple of pages, some lenders want you to scan and email the entire mortgage package. So Ooh. before you could proceed and finish the closing, the lender has to bless that everything's been properly initialed and signed. Mm-hmm. So, and, that var- and that's just part of the process. Sure. Which I think if I was loaning $500,000 to someone, I think I'd like to see that the papers are signed. So right. it seems like a pretty reasonable uh, requirement. Um, so, but back in the old days, right, you just signed it and you stuck it in an overnight. Right. So, uh, but now you, the, you get your funding requirement, the, the lender blessed it, and everybody says to the buyer, congratulations, you bought a house. And uh, at that point, they can leave the closing, they get their souvenir folder, they got the copy of the deed, they got a copy of the mortgage, and they go back to the house, and I like to say, they pop a bottle of wine. Fantastic. And that, that would brings it full circle. So Michael, thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate your advice, your expertise in the area. It's a pleasure. I I just love talking about real estate. You do too. I do. I, I mean, uh, it's the stuff we dream of. So you know, I, think it's, it's a, I think it's very, very interesting. And it's, I really appreciate yeah. uh, the opportunity to be here today. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being here and you figure real estate, that drives the economy. 
And we learned that the hard way back in 2008, 9, and 10. So again, love to have you back on in the future. Thank you for joining us. Do some more magic. So Michael Gutman, everybody, has an office in Freehold, New Jersey. Freehold, New Jersey. Again, he's helped thousands and thousands of buyers and sellers. Michael, what would be the best way to contact you? Um, One, we have a website, Riley and Gutman. Uh, dot com or michaelgutmanlaw.com. Uh, and there my email is spattered throughout, so you could email me at any hour of the day or just call our office. Uh, What's uh, a phone number, Michael? 732-431-0300. We've had that number for over 40 years. It almost sounds like a little bit of a jingle. Yeah. The way you say, could you uh, say it one more time? 732-431-0300. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Michael, thanks again Thank for joining you. us. Please, if anyone has any questions out there, uh, for an attorney, Michael's a fantastic attorney. Please reach out to him. And I'd also like to thank everybody. Thank you again for joining us this week for this episode of Your Mortgage Process. Again, my name is Greg Wareham, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham. Produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavis at The Social Rift and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in and we look forward to catching up with you next week.